Welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and rank them from best to worst. My name's Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing today, Ben? Yeah, pretty good. It's a pretty chill day so far. Yeah, it's been nice. I think this is technically the last day of my vacation. Sure, sure. I mean, you don't go back to work till Tuesday. But I usually get Sunday, Monday off anyways, so... Sure, sure. What are we watching today? Uh, well, today we are back in the realm of German Expressionism silent horror films. Excellent. Uh, we are watching All Round from 1928. Cool. This is an adaptation. Uh, this film adapts a, a previously existing German horror novel mm -hmm. uh, of the same name, Al Raune. Uh, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the source material. Sure. Alvane was written by Hans Heinz Evers, a German author who I'm surprised we haven't, or at least I haven't heard of him before. He's actually a pretty big deal. We've talked about him on the show actually a couple times. Okay. Uh, his stuff's come up because he helped work on... Yeah, he wrote the original screenplay for Student of Prague in 1913. Mm -hmm. But even just as like... A literary author. He's pretty... seems like a pretty big deal, but he's not really talked about. Mm -hmm. um, so he was born in Dusseldorf in 1871 okay. and died in Berlin in 1943. Okay. Sorry, when you tell me... when I hear that someone died in Berlin in 1943, I start to ask questions. Oh, he died of tuberculosis. Oh, okay. Yeah. He had been writing since he was a teenager, but one of his first pieces was published in 1901 when he was 30 years old. It was a collection of satirical verses in a book called A Book of Fables. Okay. Uh, that's its English translation, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And at that same time is when he started his own vaudeville company, oh. and he toured Central and Eastern Europe. That didn't last very long because of funds and censorship issues. Uh, so he was traveling the world when World War I broke out, uh, when he was 43. Since he was already outside of Europe, he was actually in South America, he moved to New York and started working with the Imperial German cause to talk in German communities, um, basically spreading propaganda for why the United States should not enter World War I. Huh, okay. He was arrested in 1918 yeah, for that, doing so. That that tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, and in 1921, he was finally released from the internment camp in Georgia, and he returned to Germany. That's a little bit of what he had been up to uh, as far as writing goes. Yeah, he wrote Student of Prague in 1913 for the film Student of Prague. He wrote his first novel when he was 39, Zaber Lehrling, published in 1910, uh, that translates to The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Mm -hmm. And that's when he introduced this character named Frank Braun, who is kind of a mystical figure uh, who has adventures in later books, including uh, the novel that follows that very first one, uh, published in 1911, which is Alvan. Okay. So in Alvan, uh, it's based off the legend... Uh, that is actually like a, a legend from the Middle Ages in Germany. Mm -hmm. It translates to Mandrake. If people recall from their 
Harry Potter days, <laughs> uh, mandrake roots kind of look like people. They have kind of humanoid shape. Yeah. This legend from the Middle Ages in Germany uh, says that mandrake roots look like people because they were produced by uh, the sperm that comes from hanged men. Yeah, yeah, that you that you hang a man from a tree and then basically his um, expelled fluids grow into mandrake roots, right? Yeah, and the legend kind of continues that witches could produce their own offspring if they use the mandrake root, uh, had sex with the root. Right, sure. But any such children would have no feelings, feelings of love, and uh, no soul. Right, sure, okay. So that's the legend. In the novel, Evers kind of makes it more about um, questions of environment versus genetics. It was apparently very influenced by the eugenics movement. Okay, interesting. So in the novel, Bronn is involved in creating a female homunculus using um, the semen from an executed murder uh, to impregnate a prostitute. Um, the resulting child is this daughter who he names Alvan and uh, adopts her. And um, she has a very kind of perverse sexuality and has no concept of love. And so it's a question of like... Is she this way because of her genetics, or is it this way because of her environment? What a bizarre-sounding story. Yep. <laughs> um, it's definitely considered a horror novel, though. And uh, one critic named E.F. Blyler wrote that while Evers' writing is really effective, there's an annoying pretentiousness, vulgarity, and obtrusive and unpleasant author personality. <laughs> in his work. Okay. <laughs> Which, I just, when people get, like, scathing reviews like that, it's just like, what What caused you to have this kind of feeling towards a novel? Sure. Anyways, Alvarez was published in 1911. Evers wrote quite a lot, but one of his later works, which might be interesting to know, is uh, in 1921, he published Vampire, which features Braun becoming a vampire. So Brown becomes a vampire in that one. I wonder if, like, fans of the series thought that that was when it jumped the shark. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? But yeah, Evers continued to write other novels, write a ton of short stories. All of his works were very horror-driven, with dark magic, vampires, torture, the like. He also would write quite a lot of critical essays. For example, he wrote an essay in 1916 on Edgar Allan Poe, who he was often compared to. Okay, sure. Um, he had a long friendship with Aleister Crowley. Yeah, this, that, <laughs> you know, that doesn't surprise me when you say it. For more info on Aleister Crowley, you can check out our episode on The Magician. And yeah, Hans Heinz Evers is considered a major author in horror literature, almost to the same extent as H.P. Lovecraft. Okay, so then the question becomes like, why don't we hear about him a lot in the West? And by the West, I mean North America. Yeah, uh, because he was involved in the Nazi party. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I had a feeling that was going to be where this was going. I mentioned how after he was released from the internment camp in uh, Georgia in the United States in 1921, he returned to Germany. He became involved with the Nazi party. He officially joined in 1931. Uh, he would have been 60 years old at that point. Um, and he, he was attracted to the Nazi party because of its talk of nationalism and its Nietzschean moral philosophy. Oh, you know what? I just realized something. 
We're about to watch a movie based on a book whose topic is, like, genetics? Yep. Oh, I have a bad feeling about this. Yep. But there's there's some bright side, I guess. Some good in this, maybe. Okay. Um, because he started to disagree with the Nazis' party anti-Semitic rhetoric. Uh, he left the party. His books were banned uh, in Germany in 1934, so that would have been after the Nazi party took power. Um, and after he left the party, presumably. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so. And his assets and property were seized. Huh. Okay. Um, but thanks to a ton of petitions, the ban was lifted, and presumably he continued living in Germany because he published his last book, Die Schisten Hände der Welt, in 1943, and he died later that year from tuberculosis. Hmm. So, Aurana was uh, published in 1911, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then he does the screenplay for the original Student of Prague in 1913. And it's kind of interesting how this small, there's a very small group of people in this German horror movie scene who keep kind of intersecting in each other's lives because Evers does the screenplay for Student of Prague in 1913 and of course that was directed by Paul Wegener and starring him and then Wegener meets Henrik Galeen to do the first version of The Golem in 1915. Galeen goes off to do the remake of Student of Prague in 1926, which we saw a couple episodes ago. Uh, and now we're back with the film version of Alrana based on Evers' novel. And this film version is written and directed by Henrik Galeen, and it stars Paul Wegener. <laughs> uh, so these guys sort of orbited each other uh, quite a bit in this period. Alraunet was Galeen's follow-up to Student of Prague from 1926. So this came out two years later. So this is the next movie he made in that two-year period. And I want to kind of stress that because we've been talking about these people's careers in our episodes in the 1920s here and mentioning like, oh yeah, in the last two years he's been in five movies or he's made 16 films. This is his next movie. So he basically spent the two years from Student of Prague to this planning on this film mm. uh, and producing this film. Uh, it is sort of considered the other major work of Galeen's directorial career alongside Student of Prague, which is usually considered to be his masterpiece. And if the critic doesn't think it's Student of Prague, they think it's Alrauna. It is also generally considered to be the best adaptation of the novel, of the various versions. And there are quite a few film versions of this story. The first was an Hungarian adaptation from 1918, which was directed by Michael Curtiz, who later became a major Hollywood director. Most notably, he directed Casablanca. Yeah. Unfortunately, this version is lost. Oh. The second version was German and was released in the U.S. as Sacrifice in 1919, um, but it's not very similar to the novel at all, uh, outside of its reference to the Mandrake root myth. It's got a very different sort of plot. And the only print of this version is at the George Eastman House archives, and it is not seen wide release or restoration. Uh, so we didn't watch that version because it, you just kind of can't. Yeah. Galeen's 1928 version, on the other hand, is considered the best adaptation of the novel, and it was also very critically well-received at the time. Uh, it stars Brigitte Helm as uh, Alrauna, mm -hmm. and uh, Helm 
is kind of most well remembered today uh, for playing the role of Maria in Fritz Lang's massive 1927 sci-fi epic, Metropolis. That was actually her first role ever. She was 18 when she did that film, but that's still kind of what she's best remembered for. Al Rauna was actually her fifth film uh, made the next year when she was still just 19. Uh, and there, she got a lot of critical praise for her appearance in this film. Some of the critics said like that she paid off the promise that she showed in Metropolis in this role. Uh, there's some other familiar faces in the cast, including uh, Paul Wegener, of course, and also even Petrovich, uh, both of whom we last saw in The Magician, Petrovich being the handsome male lead from that film. Uh, Alrauna was well-received in Germany and also well-received in the U.S. at the time, getting good reviews in the New York Times. And it sort of further cemented Galeen's reputation as kind of the top German horror expressionist director, especially as a lot of the earlier directors in that genre, uh, like F.W. Murnau or Fritz Lang, had moved on to other genres by this point. Despite this, uh, the film has never received a U.S. home video release. Okay, so how are we watching it then? Well, best I could find for the podcast was a version on YouTube, uh, which I've added to the Scream Scene YouTube playlist. And it's actually a Spanish print of the film. (laughs) So the inner titles, the title cards, are in Spanish. Okay. And then the subtitles provided by the uploader are Russian. We don't speak Spanish or Russian. Yeah, and then because YouTube is owned by Google, there's a auto-translate mode for the uploaded subtitles to translate the Russian to English. (laughs) This is sort of the best I could do. So um, (laughs) if the story is unclear or we get anything wrong... Please keep in mind that we're seeing a version that is is essentially a German film, translated to Spanish, translated to Russian, translated to English. (laughs) We're a few steps removed in our translation process, unfortunately. That's the best I could do. At least it's just with the intertitles, right? It's not like a talkie where, like, there's greater chances for mistranslations. Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, it's not going to be too bad, but yeah, like, this is the best copy for streaming that I, <laughs> like, there's no good streaming release of this film, uh, at least not in any North American territories. Like, I'm sure there's got to be a better release of this film if you live in Germany, but not for North America, unfortunately. Mm. If you would like to see this uh, very interesting copy of Avrane, it's a bit too Spanish. That was a bit Italian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The French pronunciation of things is like coming in, so it's it makes it really hard to say words. The Spanish print is titled La Mandragora. Alright, well, yeah, if you would like to watch this along with us, you can find the YouTube playlist on our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. In the meantime... You will hear a brief musical interlude, and we will be right back. See you on the other side. Welcome back, everyone, to Scream Scene. Uh, we just sat through Alrauna, 
from 1928. And, um... Ooh, boy, it's bad. Well, you know, Sarah, I'll say this. We watched this movie because I saw it, like, I've seen it classified as a German expressionist horror film. Mm -hmm. And I think, if I can go out on a limb, I think that expression is like a third right, because I'm pretty sure it was made in Germany. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But, like... Unless you're going by broad strokes of, there are shadows in this film. Yeah. This film is not German Expressionist. No, like, after seeing what Henrik Glein could do with Student of Prague, like, this film has no style to it at all. Like, no. this is just shot. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a standard, bland shooting style. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this is only a horror film if, like, you find the idea of, like, a sexually active independent woman to be horrifying. Not even that. Like, (laughs) if you could maybe argue for it being a horror film if, like, you want to say something about, like, relationships between fathers and daughters or, like, controlling Uh, fathers or something like that. Sure, but even... But, like, even then, it's... It doesn't cross enough of that line. Ironically... (laughs) Yeah, like, we've had so many conversations about where the line is between horror and thriller. And, like, this isn't even a thriller. No. You know? This is just, like, a... A drama. Like, if you took away the first, like, I don't know how long it is, but, like, the opening section of the film that discusses that the character of Al Rauna is the product of a science experiment. Yeah. just took that away. This is just a movie about, like, a dad with, like, a rebellious daughter. Yeah. That's all this is, really. Yeah. It's not good, either. It's it's one of those weird cases where like if the con like I it's not that I wanted the content of this movie to be like more upsetting or like more pushing the line on those things, but I will say that like if it was, it would be more of a horror film. I wanted it to be like a good version of Genuina. That's yeah. Yeah. I was like after reading the plot synopsis of the novel, I was like, oh, sweet. I'm actually looking forward to this. Yeah, because it felt like it was going to be the same idea of, like, the another example of, like, the deadly hypnotic woman yeah. trope. But, like, nobody dies in this movie. Straight up, no one dies. Nope. Um, let, okay, let's just, l- let me just get a plot summary out of the way here real fast. Right, yeah, sorry. Okay, so, listeners, this movie's an hour and 40 minutes, which... I think makes it one of the longer films we've done on the show so far. Certainly felt like it. Mm-hmm. So I want you to keep in mind that that's the, the running time when I go through this story. So Paul Wegener plays Professor Tenbrinken, who is studying basically nature versus nurture. And he's become obsessed with this mandrake root legend um, that talks about how, you know, uh, a hanged man, his semen, if it falls on the ground, you'll get a mandrake root out of it. So he kind of wants to recreate that as a science experiment only if the ground was a woman and the mandrake root was a person, basically. Uh, he's got this assistant uh, who's played by Ivan Petrovich, who's um, Franz Braun. Yep. Who's like the... The nephew. The nephew. Uh, yeah, he's Tim Brinken's nephew, and he's the hero of all of Hans Heinz Evers' novels, I guess. <laughs> Uh, and eventually becomes a vampire somewhere down the line <laughs> in that series, I suppose. I feel like they had to really change his character to fit this film. Yeah. Just like, yeah. So he gets his nephew to go out and get him a prostitute. And then he 
the professor that is, uh, gets the semen of a hanged criminal from the prison system, like just donates it to him, I guess, and they do some artificial insemination and cut to 20 years later, uh, about, more or less, and we've got Alrone. Uh, we're gonna screw up the pronunciation of her name all through this episode, and I've been trying real hard, but I no longer care. <laughs> this episode does, or this movie doesn't deserve it? Yeah, Is that what you're implying? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty done. So, the professor has put her in a convent school. Uh, for girls. Like boarding school. Right, run by nuns. I guess the idea is, the the premise of the experiment seems to have been that we basically, her parents were the worst of society, so let's stick her in a school run by the church and see if she'll come out all right in a nature versus nurture style experiment. That seems to be the idea. Alron is basically like a mischievous troublemaker. She pulls pranks and does naughty things, and she seems to have a pretty hypnotic effect on men because they just fall for her constantly. There's this boy who likes her and uh, she convinces him to steal a bunch of money from his dad's bank so they can run away from the school and go on the lamb together uh, somewhere. They go on a train trip. Along the way, the train picks up a traveling circus. Alrown seduces the owner of the traveling circus and her, this magician who seems to run the traveling circus, and her school boyfriend, like, all end up just in the circus doing circus acts, and she starts flirting with other dudes who work for the circus. Like, basically, if there's a man in the scene with her, she's seducing him. That's just her baseline yeah. standard mode of operation. So you see a lot of the parallels between her and Genuina. Right. Right? And I feel like what happened here was, if you've never seen uh, Brigitte Helm in Metropolis... She plays, like, a dual role in that movie. Um, She plays this character who's, like, this innocent, like, revolutionary. And she also plays a robot version of that character who's, like, a sexy femme fatale. And basically it feels like in this movie they just took her and they were like, just do the sexy femme fatale thing all the time. Yeah. So eventually uh, Paul Wegener catches up with her and is like, hey, no, and takes her away from the circus. And they go to, like, a hotel somewhere. Like a resort. Like a resort. He wants to try to get her into high society. Yeah, he wants to be able to introduce her into high society and finish his make her a good person uh, experiment, I guess, which has not been going well, apparently. So while they're at this resort, she continues to flirt and seduce uh, men. And it gets really confusing because, like, all the men in this movie just look like Howard Hughes to me. Like, they're just, like, (laughs) handsome dudes with slick back hair in suits with pencil mustaches. Yeah. They all look the same to me. Um, So she seduces this guy. He wants to marry her. He asks Paul Wigner for her hand in marriage. He's like, nope. So she's like, all right, let's run away again. Um, But before she does that, she discovers her father, quote unquote, like because the professor is for all intents and purposes her dad. Uh, She discovers his notes where he's basically like charted her growth as a person from her origins, realizes he's not really her dad and she's the product of, like, this weird experiment and decides that she's going to get revenge on him. So that sounds like the inciting incident of the story, pretty much. At this point, I will point out that we are an hour in to this one-hour, 40-minute movie. Yawn. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty tiresome. Um, This movie's got awful pacing. Just every scene is dragged out way longer than it needs to be. So... At first, she's thinking she's just going to strangle him in his sleep, and we get kind of like a, 
a version of the Nosferatu shadows creep up the sleeping person shot. But then she's like, nah. And uh, Paul Wigner says to her, like, all right, don't run away with this guy. If you don't run away with this guy, like, I'll give you all the things you want anyways. Uh, in terms of, like, high society life and balls and all kinds of things. So he brings her into high society, and she continues to just flirt with everyone. Yeah, she's milking him for all he's worth. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, just kind of, just being a real saucy girl. Her trying to do revenge is to make him jealous about all the people that she's flirting with, because she knows that he's not her dad, but he thinks... She thinks he's her dad. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really just like if you were doing a movie about, like, a controlling dad who's got, like, a rebellious daughter. That's, like, all it is. It's the same kind of thing you'd see in that kind of story. Eventually, um, Franz, the nephew, comes back into the picture, and he's been gone from the movie for so long that, like, it took me a while to realize it was supposed to be him. Uh, She reveals to Franz that she knows what's up with her. That's really as far as that kind of goes. She continues to go out to clubs and things with Paul Wigner, and eventually there's a scene where he gets drunk on champagne, she pretends to get drunk on champagne, and when they go back to her hotel room, their hotel room, she basically, like, puts the seductive moves on him, and then when he kind of moves in to, like, close the deal, she, like, laughs in his face and is like, ha ha ha, I know the whole story, I know what's up, I know I'm not really your daughter. Then, like, basically what's happened is this lifestyle of theirs is kind of draining him of funds. They go to a casino, which reminded me of the, like, bizarre Paul Wigner casino stuff in The Magician, which makes me wonder if Paul Wigner just had, like, a low-key gambling problem. (laughs) Um, They go to this casino, they play roulette, where she's, like, his lucky charm. He starts winning a lot of money, but then this huge crowd kind of comes around them, and she slips away in the crowd, and the second she's gone, he just loses all his money. Uh, So he comes back to the hotel room and discovers her packing all her things to leave him. Uh, He's like, no, no, like, we can hawk all your jewelry and, like, make a life for each other together. And she's like, yeah, no, Uh, go fuck yourself. So he kind of goes nuts, grabs a knife, starts chasing her all around town. And then Franz just shows up out of nowhere and stops him. And then Alround's like, cool, Franz, I'll go off and make a life with you. And because, like, I have a good man now, now I have a soul. And my behavior will be good. And then they go off to live happily ever after. And Paul Wigner's just kind of left, like, in an alley holding a knife at the end. Yeah, with, like, a title card talking about, like, he's left alone with his madness and loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's the movie. Ooh. I I didn't miss anything, right? Nothing of consequence. (laughs) I feel like barely anything I actually did say was of consequence, too. Yeah. Oh, boy. (sighs) Do we have anything to say about this film? Like, yeah, it's pretty misogynist. Yeah, well, yeah. Like, like here's the thing, is like, I don't even think this movie's premise works for the time. A lot of times when you get old movies that have unfortunate points of view, the, like, standard response is like, oh, well, you have to consider the time. So let's consider the time. It's 1928. It's the height of the Jazz Age. It's the height of Flappers. It's the height of Clara Bow and Greta Garbo and Theda Berra. Like, the sexually independent woman is not, like, a socially revolutionary or shocking or upsetting idea in this time period. It will be after a few years when censorship starts to kind of clamp down and morals kind of change with World War II. But, like, there's nothing about Brigitte Helms performance or her actions in this movie that suggests that 
she's like like the the very conclusion that because she's going around seducing men and having fun at parties and presumably having a lot of implied sex means that she's soulless is like that's nuts i had a feeling it was going to go that way and i mean the novel comes from like a pre-world war one place like 1911 right yeah so it's like okay so your your novel's thesis is that and like let's remember that hans heinz evers turns into a Nazi. Like, this movie definitely comes down hard on the, like, the, the, the nature side. Like, it's like, this movie posits that, like, being promiscuous is, like, an inherited trait. Yeah. Right? And it's like, that it, and that it's bad and stuff. But it's like, I just don't see that working, even in a movie from 1928. Like, by the time you get to the late 20s, like, that's not, it's dumb. It's dumb and it's bad. So, like, that leads me to think that they were trying to go trying. They did not achieve it. But perhaps the horror was supposed to be coming from someone who was supposed to be a dad being all gross. You yeah. know? That's not how it was structured. So I don't think that's what they were actually going for. And I think also, like, if they wanted it to be this female monstrous, villainous kind mm-hmm. of lady, they should have had, at the end, we see... Alarana uh, walking off with Franz. If she had like given a look back to Paul Wagner yeah. with her devilish look yeah. of like this is my plan all along. I set it up this way yeah. for you to go to these lengths. Yeah, she did get her revenge. Right. Rather than just a title card at the end saying that she did get her revenge and a happy ending. Yeah. Like I, it doesn't no. Well, and to she me, never... her happy ending would be to go back to just gallivanting with what. Like, the guy of the week. Well, and, and that's the thing, too, is, like, her sexuality is never threatening enough, I feel, in this movie. Because, like, it never gets beyond implied. She gives a lot of sultry looks into the camera, but this is a surprisingly sexless movie in terms of actually showing anything. And, you know, if I wanted to think that her sexuality was threatening, like, she needed to be leading these men that she is involved with down a dark path or something. She gets kind of close with that near the beginning where it's like she makes the kid steal money from his dad, but that's about it. If she had been, like, sexing these men up and then, like, offing them when she was done with them, that would have been something. So it sounds like we just wanted a good genuina. Yeah. I just wanted, like, yeah, like, if she had been killing people... Like, the, the other thing that's so confused about this movie is I don't understand whose POV we're supposed to be sympathizing with. Yeah. Because we stay with Al Rauna for most of the movie, like, through her POV. And so I don't think it's effective for her to be the scary thing if we're with her POV. So then it's like, so then Wegner becomes the scary guy. But he's only really scary, like, towards the end, once he starts, like, getting a little more overtly attracted to her. And then later, pretty overtly murderous towards her. So it's like she shifts from being the person who's supposed to be the evil one to being the damsel in distress. Like she's, she's literally both the monster and the damsel in distress in this movie. And that structurally doesn't work. Yeah. The, the poster art for this movie, like if you can find it in a Google image search, like suggests a movie about like a sexy, murderous, dark figure. And like the movie never really develops on that promise either. Like this movie still would have been misogynist and bad if it had gone to a lot of those places, but at least it could have gone for them. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't expressionist, and I don't think it's horror. Definitely not. It's not even thriller. Like, there's nothing, there's no scary, there's no fear, there's no tension, there's no murder, there's no threat. 
Uh, it's just a drama with a weird kind of sci-fi opening that isn't really necessary to anything other than furthering the author's fucked-up eugenics ideals. Yeah. And then, like, at the end, there's a little bit of action in terms of Wegner chasing her around with a knife, and, like, certainly Paul Wegner's pretty threatening just because he's a big dude. Yeah. But that's about it. That's, like, 30 seconds of, like, threatening action in an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, and this and this movie doesn't even have any of the visual styling and panache that we saw in Student of Prague. Yeah, I can't believe that people would be like, if it's not Student of Prague, then Al Rauna is, like, Henrik Galeen's, like, masterpiece. Like, yeah, like, what, what are they... What movie s- are you watching? Exactly. And, like, the reviews that I saw that praised Brigitte Helm's performance in this film. Her performance is one note. That note is be sexy. I mean, we do get the scene where she's freaking out having read the diary. Mm-hmm. I want to know how this movie was marketed because especially with the poster because if it was marketed as a horror movie then I don't know how even like the German critics would have liked this having like seeing German horror films yeah but if it was marketed as maybe like a melodrama then I can see why people were like oh good movie but like (laughs) it's a boring movie to us but like maybe it was just like you know we haven't been watching melodrama as a genre develop in the same way, you know? like Yeah, we had certain expectations, especially when it's like... Henrik Galeen. Henrik Galeen, Paul Wigner, yeah. Hans Heinz Evers. Like, this is, this is... Everything going into this movie tells you it should be a German expressionist horror movie, and you come out of it and it was a bland movie of the week on Showtime. Yeah. <laughs> it... <laughs> it makes me laugh how we were like, is The Unknown even a horror film? When we, now we've watched this, and yeah. it's like, yes, yes, The Unknown is a horror film. This is 100% not. Yeah, it, it, in that episode, we talked about how we were giving the U.S. horror films a lot of slack because they hadn't really figured out what horror was yet, so we couldn't penalize them for breaking the rules too much. This is a German film. We've had lots of great German horror movies. We know what the rules of, we know what a German horror movie should look like. It's not this. And we know, we know it's not just the version we happen to see, and, like, it got cut down to whatever it is, because if this got cut down from, like, Galeen's original vision to this, like, how long would that original movie have been, you know? Like, it would not, that's clearly not the issue here. Yeah, this movie could have had another half hour cut out of it, and not even had any scenes cut out, because there's so many moments where, like, you know how people joke about how when you watch a movie, you never see the characters do mundane things, like go to the bathroom or something. Like, that's what this movie feels like. It's like, when someone wants to write a letter, we see them, like, approach a desk, pull out the chair, sit down in the chair, ruffle through a drawer for some paper, take out some paper, put the paper on the desk, find themselves a pen, unscrew the cap on the pen, dip the pen in some ink, start writing, and it's like, oh my god, I don't need it. Which is so strange if it's like, if people are like, no, this is German Expressionism, because German Expressionism is so against naturalism. Yeah. And, like, if you were going for a naturalistic movie, you would have all of these things of, like, let's see the entire process of writing a letter. Yeah. The only thing that's really kind of worthwhile in this movie is if, like, you're thirsty for some German femme fatale smoldering looks, you're going to find them in this movie. You have to wade through a lot of, like, boring shit first. For sure. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
I, I just wonder if, like, all the reviews that said that the movie was good were just, like, code for, like, this movie's hot or something. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, man. Like, was this, like, the 1928 equivalent of, like, those bad movies that, like, air really late at night on, like, cable channels where you just kind of, like are fast-forwarding through all the talking scenes because you know there's going to be some side boob coming up. Like, <laughs> this this movie's bad. It's like, it, you can't even, like, equate this to a Russ Meyer movie where you're trying to get through plot to see boob. Like, this... No. Like, the, the sexiness in this movie is literally just if you were trying to fast-forward to get to a side boob, like you said. Like, yeah. there's nothing... There's nothing, in, there's nothing in here. There's just nothing. some smoldering looks from Brigitte Helm and Paul Wigner's bizarre face... <laughs> and that's I do love that the moment where she starts to put together that she can't be this guy's daughter is because <laughs> she's like looking at the two of them together in a mirror and is like, I don't look anything like you, which led Sarah and I to like start postulating like what would someone who was related to Paul Wigner even look like? Yeah, like he has such defining features, even just like his cheekbones yeah. or his forehead or broad shoulder, like you would know if you were <laughs> his kid. Alright, uh, so I assume we're not going to be ranking this movie. Yeah, I, this is not applicable. This cool. is straight up, no discussion needed. Oh, that means it's going to be next to Hexen. Hexen is good. Hexen is a good movie that is not a horror movie. This is a garbage movie that is not a horror movie. Regardless, neither are horror movies. Yeah. What now? Well, if you'd like to see the list that this movie isn't on... <laughs> You can do so by going to screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can also find the playlist if you would like to watch this garbage movie. Our YouTube playlist is on our website as well. You can also submit appeals and suggestions through our ask box on Tumblr, or you can send us an email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com. Come to Twitter and yell about this movie with us at underscore screamscene. You can find us on iTunes. We update every Wednesday, and we'd love it if you would leave it a review. Uh, just, this movie was garbage. This podcast is not. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> um, just a point of housekeeping. Uh, I try to keep the Scream Scene YouTube playlist pretty up-to-date. Occasionally, I have run into some problems where an account or a video that I've put up has been deleted, and I have to kind of rush around to find replacements. So if you are watching movies off the list and something that we say is up there in an episode is no longer up there, uh, I apologize for any inconvenience that that may cause. Uh, and if you spot anything like that, you know, please let us know on Twitter. Yeah, we'll sort that out for you. We'll do the legwork. Don't you worry. So what are we watching next week? Please tell me it's better than this. Well, Sarah, uh, next week we are hopping over to France for oh. some, yeah, for some French Impressionism. <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, uh, so we're watching Jean Epstein's 1928 adaptation of The Fall of the House of Usher. We've seen that before, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, I've seen it like twice. I watched it in film school and I've watched it once with you. Cool. I look forward to learning what French Impressionism is. I have no idea. Neither did the filmmakers involved in the movement. <laughs> Alright, well, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Hope you had a good time listening to this episode, even if you didn't have a good time watching the film. We'll see you next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye! Bye!